Hello and welcome to Pyres and Sperling Unwired, a daily discussion about business, technology, and current events around the world. Featuring Jim Pyres, a career software privacy and mobile communication pro, and Ben Sperling, a leading professional in digital health and healthcare technology. This program is casual and non-rehearsed and may feature occasional guests or recorded interviews. Let's join Jim and Ben now. Hit it. Hey, Ben. Good hey, Jim. You. Good morning. How you doing? Excellent. Third Jim podcast. Ready yeah, to kick Jim it off. Byers from Escondido. Ben Sperling from Point Loma. Well, it's great to be back with you, Ben. Um, lots to talk about today. Not much housekeeping. Um, we're getting good feedback on the first two. This is the this is episode number three of Unwired. So the first two episodes went out, went were uh, got some good interest and well received. And um, yeah, we're just getting going. So it's it's a lot of fun. Um, today's topic. I think we're going to we're going to try to talk about 5G, fifth generation mobile wireless. So lots of angles on that, um, but it I did want to kind of go into it from a let's say from a layman's point of view, you know, what does it mean for for us and what does it mean for you know, the mobile consumer who's out there and is it going to be great? Is it going to not matter? What's going to happen? Also, maybe, you know, what's 5G going to be for business? If, or what, what kind of applications are going to come out of 5G, you know, if any? And and how long is it going to take? You know, the hype is it's here now. Uh, a lot of the companies that that are behind these generations of mobile technology are were hyping it up last year. But the reality is uh, you don't see much of it yet. Um, I'm a Verizon customer. My family's on Verizon. Uh, so yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're not feeling it. We're all iPhone guys, so we know Apple's a little behind in that space. So what, what what's your guy? What's your family on, Ben? Yeah, we're, we're on Verizon too. I mean, I think this is a five G is a really big topic, and I mean, I hope to talk about how it's going to help us as kind of the average geo consumer um because there's certain things for business and there are certain things that's going to help me as an individual family um so at least you know september this year hopefully there'll be something that apple will put out um, I'm uncertain of how good it's going to be, though. Yeah, I mean, the, the Samsung phone is already launched. And uh, let's see, which one is that? That's the, um, well, it's the Galaxy, the, the S10. Yeah. Is is uh, 5G ready? So it's probably, you you know, it's most definitely using one of the Qualcomm 5G modems. And... Um, you know, that's a that's you can buy it now. 
So yeah, I got to hand it to I got to hand it to Samsung because they are not afraid to go first, right? Uh, <laughs> no, really, in anything. No, I mean they're not afraid to get out there and and even you know launch a dud. You know, not that they've had too many of those, but um, but I, I like the fact that they they, they step it up. They they go very early on everything, whether it's you know fingerprint ID or you know even the step with 5G. I mean I think that's you know it's to be admired. Taking the risk. Yeah, and I think uh, that that forced, in some ways, that relationship probably forced Apple to have to come to the table to, you know, finish finish up that deal with Qualcomm. And I think I think the fact that they were um, that they're behind, um, yeah, gave Samsung reason to get out there quickly. Uh, there, it is interesting. So the you know the combo of Sprint and Timo is interesting, um, and also the different carriers are taking different approaches to 5G. Uh, don't want to get too technical on this show, but the um, what's interesting is the spectrum that these carriers have acquired and how they're using it, and that. Some of the carriers are using it differently. So 5G is going to be working in, actually for Verizon and AT&T, our, our carrier Verizon, they're going, to be, um, they're going to be doing what's called millimeter wave. And that's, the, that's kind of the high, it's up in the higher bands. But TMO is, is doing what's called mid band or lower band uh, they're going to be launching in that um, space in the spectrum. And uh, I think it's, what is it? It's maybe, I think it's around six gigahertz is what they're doing. Okay. And so they, and they've already got some, you know, they had a few launches uh, in 2019, I think in New York and LA and a couple of big cities. How'd those go? Well, yeah, it's I mean it's it's small areas and I think they're they're going bigger but when you could and Sprint is using uh 2.5 gigahertz so that they are mid-band for 5G. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting when you combine those things and you know which is good for Qualcomm because you know they they're probably going to be you know one of the I think this is one of the Intel's challenges is so, so these phones that come out that have, you know, that have these 5G capabilities, they got to support all those different bands. And I'm sure international brings a whole nother, you know, that's a, that's the thing we could, we could do in one of our shows in the future is just talk about, you know, what, what frequencies, what bands are being used by all these different operators and, and what a challenge that, that is for the Silicon folks. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, TMO and Sprint are, I guess if they pass all the regulatory hurdles, they're going to be combining forces. So it's interesting. They have, you know, two different strategies right now for for 5G. Makes you pause and wonder if that's such a great fit or or if it's if it's a good fit because of that, because they are. Yeah. Do, do they get do they have more spectrum and more coverage um, as long as they can as long as they can get. As long as they don't have to have a phone for each one, you know, that's. I, I was that's 
one. Yeah, it's kind of like 5G kind of transition, right? So here, 5G is the latest buzz, and I've heard some of the use cases, some of the advantages of it. But I also think about like what is the effect on my current phone, or whether it's a, as a business and also as an individual, I'm going to have to buy new equipment, uh, and when am I going to be absolutely forced to buy new equipment? Like when does when does 3G and 4G get phased out? Now I heard Verizon was supposed to phase out 3G, uh, the 3G uh, network at the end of 2019. Now I did hear, um, I confirmed that they, they extended that, I don't know for how long, but they did extend that. AT&T took a different approach. Theirs is further out. Theirs is, uh, I think I read something, it was like 2022. So they have a little bit more of a, a runway, I guess, with that. But, and, and from my understanding, they're kind of repurposing that spectrum, you know, for 5G. So everything they're kind of phasing off of, for 3G, they're you know being able to repurpose or leverage uh, for for 5G. Is that yeah, that's right. And 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 think of it. The reason that well, at least AT and T. I mean, because you know 4G and 3G, it's all in the lower bands. And Verizon and AT and T are going with initially at least um, are going with the millimeter wave, which gives them which does give them some runway before they reallocate that that um, lower band spectrum, even though, you know, here's here's where it gets interesting in our discussion, because this is for the carriers. It's all about the cost per bit. So, yeah, as as they've gone from, you know, 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G, it's always been um, reducing that cost per bit. And the spectrum that's available in 5G basically just it, it it it's a way that you know the analogy is it's a much larger highway for the data, um, which which makes it obviously much cheaper. I I think the the ultimate impact for the consumer in in the, the new technology is I I think the 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 idea of data caps which which are sort of unique and unique to mobile i think those are going to be dead i i i think because the cost per bit in 5g is going to be so so low that it's it's in the um it's in the noise so it almost yeah. be, it, it becomes like your uh, you know your 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 cable provider i mean technically there is no reason for them to be capping data i mean those bits are basically free yeah, and um, so it it definitely five G approaches that you know not only in terms of speeds and feeds and all that, but also just in terms of cost because the, the spectrum is so much uh, wider. Now, I, again, I don't want to get too technical, but from my understanding, so you talked about the higher bands that the AT and T and Verizon are taking this uh, you know millimeter band, and from my understanding is that you know, uh, much smaller, much faster, but larger packets they're able to do without clogging a network, right? That's kind of the benefit. Now, when they go to the mid-tier, you, you, you called it, I mean, are they getting less performance because of that? Yeah, there's certain trade-offs um, between, you know, so so 5G basically operates, uh, you know, going off the top of my head here, but 
I think it operates from like about six gigahertz all the way up to a hundred gigahertz. So the, you know, the, the, um, and, you know, cellular today is operating in those lower bands, you know, uh, 800, um, 900 and so forth. And, um, the, the idea is that as you, as you go to the right on that, um, in that category. So as you get into millimeter waves, they're, they're really good for, uh, close proximity and high speeds, but not really great at, you know, punching through stuff through walls, yeah. uh, yeah. and, and, and not really great at distance. So that brings a bunch of problems for the uh, challenges and opportunities for the industry, which is that's that's where these small cells come in. So, yeah. you know, cell, cell, cellular networks today, they're giant towers and, you know, pretty ugly. And, and, and but there there's not that many of them in relative terms to how 5G is going to roll out. I think 5G is yeah. they're going to have to have a lot of more of these small cells. And that's how they're going to extend the networks and get the um, the coverage that they need. Um, so, so Ben, you and I both were Qualcomm people for a long time, and um, the thing I learned at Qualcomm that was always that always stuck in my head, and this goes back to the uh, the trucking days. So they always talked about the you know the the management there always talked about the three C's, right? It was uh, coverage, cost, and capacity. And uh, in any mobile cellular application any mobile network any you know any mobile service you had to worry about the three c's this is what the carriers really worry about so you know cost coverage capacity and and i, I think what you see in 5g is you've got this uh, you've obviously got capacity so the speeds and feeds of 5g are really amazing i think um i think the cost and the coverage is going to be a little bit trickier um, because you're going to need more cell towers, but they're going to be smaller, which is good. Yeah. But, but then you, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering about the backhaul, you know, just, I'm just wondering out loud, you know? Yeah. So, so these big towers usually have, you know, direct connections to the inner internet, you know, from the base stations and some, so now you got all these mini cells. And they can be daisy chained, I think, to some extent. But then, how, you know, where's your backhaul, and how does that aggregation work? And so, I think the carriers have some new network topology challenges that could affect the cost, you know, uh, of part of the equation. So yeah, it'd be interesting to dive into that a little bit, you know, as we uh, as we talk about this. Yeah, I think uh, you know, really, it's about what what can for me. Right. So as I've been kind of looking at 5G and how could it be applied, I looked at, you know, we've talked about vehicles like telemetrics and, you know, autonomous vehicles. Right. Um, yep. Also, you think about now that I'm not driving, I want to be entertained. Right. So the infotainment, you know, units inside cars, you know, streaming me Netflix and Hulu. Right. Yep. Uh, and then. Uh, I guess from a smart cities kind of perspective, you've got it's like energy and power um, and the sensors that 
would be those. You know, we've talked about parking meters and lights that, you know, in a city they would have that. Um, you know, kind of all utilities categories fall into that. Um, then, you know, robots, collaborative robots that, you know, like cars would be kind of somewhat autonomous. Um, you could use them like we talked about to get your toilet paper. Maybe those, those are 5G enabled. Um, or, you know, it's, you know, a household or a business related robot that's providing some sort of service for you. Um, and then kind of video security, you know, um, certainly with the prevalence of ring doorbells and et cetera, you're, you know, more, more video is coming to pass. Uh, all these things are kind of large data, very fast data, right? and have to be highly reliable. Um, and so yeah. then I kind of break it into verticals, right? Like healthcare, industrial, et cetera, right? Um, yep. And I obviously have a passion for healthcare. I'm you know, looking for any ways of leveraging new sensors, new process, new workflow into improving better clinical and financial outcomes for, for, for healthcare. And I'm, I'm excited about a couple of different things. Um, one is, and they're already starting to do some of this, which is drones um, that are uh, cellular enabled to deliver uh, organ transplant material. So I think that's a super fascinating use case. Um, I think robots, you know, Da Vinci robots and others that do procedures being done by a caregiver across the world. Um, now, right now, I'm not sure if I would want something highly precise, uh, you know, but, you know, for me personally, um, but, you know, extremely low latency, they can provide consistent video, um, but I think they will get there where everybody will get comfortable with that. What do you think? Well, I, so you're bringing up a lot of interesting, let's say, applications of some of the key features of 5G. So let's kind of go through <clears throat> some of the claims. And and by the way, these things are the other, you know, part of the hype is so release 16 is is kind of the 5G release of, you know, the 3GPP standard, you know, and it's funny that the 3GPP is still the group that's working on 5G because what, what happened to 4G? But yeah, we should have changed the name of this group. But, um, yep. but, but anyway, 3GPP is the, is the you know, standards group body that works on these uh, requirements and standards for you know, the Gs. And, um, and 5G release 16 is probably due to be ratified, you know, the middle of, 2020, the middle of this year. So it's not even done yet. And, and some of those key features are your, your, your uh, applications are focusing on like automotive. So they have what's called URLLC, ultra reliable and low latency communication. Um, that is part of the standard. That's probably geared uh, precisely towards automotive for these types of, uh, you know, autonomous vehicle applications maybe robotics you know in industrial iot kind of stuff um you know automating factories basically is what's going on in that space and 5g's you know has the, has the opportunity to be a big part of that um 
one of my jobs at Qualcomm was I was on the 5G uh, specification team for what, what was called mission critical services, uh, which included things like healthcare and autonomous vehicles. And that's where you need, in, you know, this incredible reliability, which is something that's sometimes hard to get on a cell phone network and the ultra low latency, which means, you know, when, when data has to go through the network and back in a, in a big hurry, uh, like if you're, <laughs> if you're getting information from the cloud about, you know, something that's uh, in front of you in your car and you got to slam on the brakes, you know, that's the one everybody uses. But A, that has to work every time. And B, uh, it, it can't take a long time to do it. You can't be waiting for that decision to happen. So I worked on the, the, the requirements for that. And um, it is interesting that you know, there are products out there today and we don't have the fully compliant, you know, release 16 completed. Um, so, and, and this, this is not unusual, by the way. So when, in any of these standards, if you look at Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or you go down the list of, of wireless standards, some, there are manufacturers that typically get ahead of things. Uh, MIMO is a good example of that where, you had companies releasing MIMO before the spec was completed. It's, uh, you know, it's always a kind of everybody wants to be chase first, and right? catch up. Yeah, I mean, no, everybody wants to be the first, right? And yeah, we talked you want about to be first, and you know, about... you want to take advantage of these things. It's, it's faster, it's better, it's cooler. Yeah. So no, no. I'm question. the leader because I got it out first. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Well, I, mean, I think about it's a kind of a philosophy thing. Like, so we talked about Samsung and Apple, right? There are companies that that always like to go first, and there's the others that are fast followers and like to you know make the improvements. There's always that Gen 2, right, or that dot release, which is always better, right? So it's, it's just a philosophical difference about how companies work and, and how they plan and execute. Um, so um, well, it's, it's it's also the life cycle. You know, one one of the things that are was always interesting being at Qualcomm was. You always felt like you were about five years ahead of the curve. I mean, I remember working on, you know, embedded broadband services. You know, first they were the cards you plugged in a laptop. And, yeah. and we, we were walking around with those things, you know, in 2000. And it was funny because, you know, literally those things were five years away. And, you know, probably before embedded, it was, you know, six, seven years earlier. Uh, than, than when we got all that figured out. So it, it was, I kind of feel like walking around, working on 5G the last couple of years, we're, it's the, the whole ecosystem takes three to five years for this uh, technology to be proliferated, right? It's, yeah. it's got to go to the carriers and the carriers got to roll out the network. It's got to, you know, Qualcomm's got to tape all these chips out and Get them into the market, and then the the OEMs got to build product around those those chipsets and those capabilities, and then the software has to keep up, and uh, so you've got the that ecosystem has to be aligned, and and so I think that there's always optimism, but there's a lot of moving parts in this space, and it's it 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 does usually take two, three, four, five years for this stuff to become 
um, you know, where most consumers are walking around with it in their pocket. Is it going faster though? I mean, like that's typically, you know, there is a life cycle, right? You talk about, you know, early days at technology companies. Is some of this stuff going faster? Is some of that more compact, especially as people are trying to jump ahead of specs, right? Before they're finalized. Well, the marketing uh, is, that's for sure. <laughs> Ask <laughs> AT&T. No, because oh, you know, AT&T comes out with uh, 5GE, right? So what is 5GE? Well, actually, it's 4GE. I mean, if they would have called it 4GE, I think they would have gotten a little less heat um, because that's a real thing. Advanced yeah. LTE is a real thing. That's what that's what 5GE really is um, on the AT&T network. It's advanced LTE. It is faster. It is better. Um, yeah. They they could have hyped that, I think, without diluting the 5G brand. Yeah. So that was a, that was a to me a big mistake on their part. Um, and and they took a lot of heat for it, and rightfully so. Um, yeah. I think um, my kids, my my, I have a family plan on AT and T with the for for mom and the and the kids, and um, you know they all started telling me, oh, you know, my phone says, you know, 5GE or whatever. I'm like, what? So, you know, when that happened, that was, that was a while ago. But but still, I remember, you know, looking into it and, you know, I'm like, come on, man, that's that's not right. Yeah, I mean, look, they, I, I, some marketing guy just or gal just trying to push the envelope, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I got you, you got to love it, right? I mean, I think from the you know, I look at it as what is it, how is it going to affect me as a consumer, right? So, yep. you know, I'm going to be waiting until September, crossing my fingers that Apple comes through with something that I'm going to leverage faster speeds, right? And that's ultimately what I'm really looking for, right? Faster speeds. I'm not a VR guy, so some of the features that I've heard rumored, you know, aren't that interesting to me, but maybe, maybe Maybe it's more interesting to others that are going to apply VR to some sort of practical application, whether it's, you know, walking down the street in a new, you know, place you're you're visiting for the first time and overlaying kind of things and giving you a walking tour. Who knows, right? I think that's neat. Um, but what is is it going to be a forklift upgrade to go from 4G to 5G, right? That's what I wonder. And you talked about how the kind of the 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 signal doesn't go as far so you need may need you know more towers or these small cells um yep. that you can put in a house or a business that kind of create this mesh network right um yep and i th i think about it as something and i wasn't on this team this was a little bit before my time when i was at qualcomm was media flow right and the whole idea of being able to watch tv on your phone or on these kind of uh, feature phones right way back when before smartphones right yep. and one of the things I heard, I believe to be true, is that they made a mistake in not anticipating how much of a network, like it didn't pierce the wall. So they did these licensing deals with Fox and other you know, media companies, and they kind of really had to back out of the space because it got too expensive to put the networks in because, you know, it wasn't flowing inside, you know, buildings, right? Not just homes, but like office buildings, and they needed a better, more dense network. And it it kind of when I when I was thinking about 5G and that comment you just made, I thought about that example. I'm like, ugh, you know, 
making sure that they don't repeat that mistake, right? I mean, is that how you understand it or was it different? Well, there was a lot of things going on at that time. Uh, one thing, the, the light, you know, streaming, so streaming today is mainstream. Everybody streams everything. Streaming yeah. is a big application for 5G, by the way. But, um, you know, if, if you go back to the media flow days, I mean, that was, that was 2G framework, you know, 2.5G probably. Um, and yeah, so the, the spectrum was a challenge. Um, the, because uh, I think it was 700 megahertz was where everything was running for media flow, which, which the bigger problem was you had to have phones with that radio frequency and, and they didn't have that frequency at the time. So there was, there was a couple of things going on in my view. One is there wasn't many phones available. So if you wanted to have that service, there was like one phone you could buy that had the radio in it, you know? So that was a problem because, you know, people, people want the phones they want. This is what, you know, the carriers had to learn the hard way. And, um, and media flow was, I think was an example of that where you just, it was, it was a good technology, you know, watching, <laughs> watching video on your, on your phone is like, that's just brain dead smart now. Right. It's like, that that's that, that's how it works um you know every every kid you know all my kids that's that's all they do right it's netflix it's uh, youtube it's whatever it's TikTok. They're, they're, it's tiktok yeah <laughs> tiktok they're watching they're watching some sort of video you know or picture on their on their phone and and so i think definitely that was a was a great concept it was just it was early and the technology was um you know, was limited by by some of those factors of getting those things into phones. And that that is the challenge uh, that 5G has that we talked about at the beginning of the show, which is, you know, can the silicon guys make chips that the OEMs put in that, that cover all these, um, c cover all the spectrum and do it well? Because to your point, Ben, if if some of these applications don't work because you're inside, uh or, or you have you you require open sky like you do with GPS and things like that. These are big limitations, and and it will impact the business. So I know there's lots of cool work going on um, in in these areas. Uh, I know that XCOM, for example, is is working on one part of this, and that is the the density problem. You know, if you have large scale events with thousands of users. Um, you know, today cellular doesn't perform very well um, in in those kind of environments. You know, if you go to CES, try to make a phone call. Uh -huh. um, it's a so so there are companies and that are out there working on these problems um, in these different frequency bands, and so you can you kind of look at low frequencies. You know, like we were talking about 700 megahertz and um, you know media flow. Those kinds of applications need to be, the, the, there needs to be special, um, you know, software and hardware for, you know, handling those things. And that's where the antenna comes in and MIMO and all these things that, um, that make all this stuff work. Um, so, so, yeah, the, yeah. The, so the XCOM guys, those are ex-Qualcommers, right? The, the, the yep. Paul Jacobs and Derek Aberly and... Um, Matt Rob, so, yeah. Yeah, so 
you know, let's, so they're they're in it. Obviously, Qualcomm's in the 5G game. They're pretty pretty known. But I guess if you're kind of an average Joe or Jane, you don't really know these. I mean, Qualcomm isn't a household name unless you live in San Diego or in the tech industry. Um, you probably, I mean, you've heard of Intel. You know, Huawei. You may or may not have heard of um, XCOM. I think probably you know even fewer people know about XCOM, right? Unless you're in the industry. Um, so these are the names that are really influencing what we're going to get as a consumer because we're familiar yeah. with AT&T Verizon, right? That's who we're counting on, right? Yeah, yeah but the, uh, the the carriers are really just, they're consumers of the technology. You know, you've got companies like Ericsson and Qualcomm and MediaTek and, um, the, and Huawei and these kind of companies. They're the ones that make the infrastructure. Those are the towers. Um, I, Nokia is in the, you know, the small cell business now too. And then you've got, you know, the guys who make the chips for the phones and, you know, that's the Qualcomm and MediaTek's of the world. Intel was doing it. Um, I, I think what's kind of interesting is what an average consumer knows about these chips, like what it all does. They don't realize it's this operating system for, you know, the sensors, you know, your camera, your mic, the, you know, everything that, you know, how it consolidates all these different bands together. So you could, you know, switch from, you know, from one cell tower to the next. They don't, the average consumer doesn't think about that. And that's what these companies do, right? That's their, their lifeblood. But I mean, they are, it, it's, it is absolutely amazing that they are taking what used to be in our mobile phone and sure, sure it's been supercharged, but that's what's going to go, that's what's going in our vehicles, right? And that's what's going to drive our cars. That's oh, yeah. Well, and it's going in the airplanes and it's going in the drones and it's going in the, well, and you bring up a good point. Um, it's probably going in our medical devices. It's probably absolutely. going in, it's, uh, so these things are proliferating into, you know, into our smart homes. That's a good question for you, Ben. All right. So today we've got a smart, we got these smart homes and everybody, you know, if you're like me and you and probably most of America, you've got all these devices that are doing something in your home. You know, you've got your nest that's, you know, you're you know, monitoring your heating and cooling. You've got your garage door opener, you know, that's automated. You've got your ring doorbell that checks, you know, who's coming up to the door, you got your, uh, you know, you got your uh, home pods that are, you know, answering any questions you have. And yeah, so you got all these devices sitting around, they're all on the network, they're all IP based devices. Yeah. They're all internet enabled, um, which, you know, they're, they're, that I have my own concerns with that. But, but then you have all these things. And it's funny, because they're all connected is in different ways you know some they've got an ethernet port and you just plug it into your network some are wi-fi enabled some are bluetooth enabled uh today not many there are some are cellular enabled and right. you know one of the one of the things as a sort of a you know a privacy and security guy i um i always wonder if if it you know, especially when the the economics allow for it, wouldn't it be a lot more secure if all those devices were just um, actually enabled with mobile cellular? 
you, because like, right, right, right now you, you, you've got a single attack vector in your house. You know, if, if someone gets into any one of those devices, you're pretty much toast because they're on your network. Yep. And and so once you've been exploited through one of these entry points, whatever it is, your garage door, your doorbell, doesn't matter. Um, you're you're really exploited. But if all those things weren't connected centrally, you know, onto your into your home network, if they were all their sort of their own private networks, wouldn't that be a lot more secure? Yeah, absolutely. And you think about it as most people, well, I don't know sure most people, but often people don't change the password to their router, right? <laughs> What's your no, password, seriously, Ben? Seriously. Well, most sure, don't. Is, it mon- is, is it monkey123? Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? So, or, or, you know, they're, you know, they don't change that. It's their telephone number, right? I mean, everybody knows the nomenclature that it started with. If you went with, you know, one AT&T or Cox or whatever, like, it's there's a default and a lot of people don't change that default which is crazy right so you know your point is well taken once you're on you know you're watching you can watch anybody's video inside their house right or you know watch the traffic uh of the information that flows and so certainly a private network is is the way to go and i you know i still think you know as if it was cellular it still can flow up to a centralized cloud that could give you all the home automation services that you want, right, to control it. But you're right, that's 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 a big exposure. Um, so you know, mobile broadband does seem like the way to go. And more and more houses are are do have all these smart devices. They are convenient. Yeah, so what, one, one of the examples of that, you know, when, when we first created, you know, mobile embedded broadband, one of the use cases in China was if, if, if you had a laptop and you were going to be accessing your bank account, um, the software wouldn't even allow you to connect to the bank over anything but cellular. And I always remember that. I mean, this was many, many years ago, but, but I always remember that as a use case um, of why, I mean, one, it's licensed spectrum. It's a lot harder to hack it. It's it's encrypted by default. Um, it's illegal. <laughs> That's another big point to um, you know to to, uh, to spy on that um, traffic, and and on and on and on. So there's a bunch of hurdles for you know securing that information that just by using mobile cellular you you gain. I I think that's an interesting angle for one of the 5G, um, one of the things they're working on in this release of 5G is um, using private uh, private uh, f- uh, 5G network. So imagine uh, an enterprise is able to set up their own instance, so to speak, of a, um, of a 5G network. So you've got your own private cellular yeah. network on premise yeah so think about that from a security point of view um a hospital yeah they might have their uh let's say they're some of their really sensitive medical devices where they're doing robotic surgery or they're doing you know mris and things like that super you know super um private information about their patients 
this could be all all the traffic for the, those kinds of devices could run over a secure private network that's completely isolated from the enterprise network. So, you know, you got today you got your same traffic, you know, for the in these hospitals that's, you know, running Facebook and Twitter and God knows what. Right. So yeah. all of a sudden you, you could completely isolate these networks um, which I think has big security implications for these places. They they get hacked quite often, it's but also just just the reliability. So so now you don't have unnecessary traffic flowing, you know, over a network that's dedicated to some very critical task, right? Yeah, I think about ransomware. It's hitting hospitals a lot, right? Somebody pops open, you know, an email, and all of a sudden hackers have access to it. And they hold these, you know, hold these hospitals hostage and shut them down for, you know, something that's fairly easy for the hospital to pay. And they likely do and most often do because of that. Right. They don't make it too big. And they don't fight it. They don't. Yeah. It's, they just pay the piper. Right. Totally wrong. It's illegal. Um, I think, you know, having the ability to have a, a net, you know, a 5G network, a private network would be huge. Plus all the different sensors that can be put in to a hospital that now would be low power, you know, long battery life um, and, and onto that private network, almost like an environment. It, it's It's part of the the plumbing the infrastructure it's like electric and plumbing i think it's a you know these private networks for hospitals and other enterprises could be extremely significant yeah and, and so in 5g i am pretty sure about this but uh I, I need to look look this up but but the nr based access to unlicensed spectrum is part of release 16 i'm pretty sure okay. so so that means you know, today you can do some of those things in, in CBRS band and there's some uh, Qualcomm and Nokia have products in that band that you could you could do a private cellular network today on. But um, but 5G is making it part of the spec, which means these probably future products could leverage uh, spectrum, you know, with, you know, 5G NR, which. That's yeah. I think that's where the that changes the game, right? Because now you could you know you, you could leverage the existing devices in the network. T today it requires you basically either adding a module or creating you know embedding that th those products in your you know the current the, the existing products. So that's you know it's it's costly, but tomorrow <clears throat> a lot of these things could be used you know off the shelf, which is interesting. So we talked about kind of all these different use cases, different verticals, whatever. Now, would you for 5G, right? Yeah. Would you classify? So here's this: Internet of Things, right? Does it have to have 5G for you to have an Internet of Things? Uh, yes. I, I think I think so. That's you'll see in the you know this release of 5g th those things that you talked about earlier those applications you were describing yep i mean there's some real dependencies um for scaling iot that are that the previous mobile technologies they're just they weren't designed to handle okay. so scale is one thing you know imagine 
you know, again, we're talking about homes now that maybe have five, 10, 15 devices in them that are, you know, considered IoT devices. Well, imagine when every home has hundreds of those devices, right? Yeah. Every business has hundreds or thousands of these devices. So you start to get it to a point where scaling um, IoT across these networks, it becomes problematic. And then imagine when all of those things are cellular enabled. Because you, 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 know, you and I were making the argument they should be. Well, yeah. okay, you know, be careful what you ask for because now you, all those things are on the network. Well, I, I see, like, there, I see, a, see a big need, not just as a cons consumer, home, et cetera. I think of infrastructure like bridges. I want a sensor on bridges that's telling me when you know they're cracking and they're having some challenges, right? Especially yeah. in earthquake-related areas where you're going to want to understand that. So when, as these bridges are going up or we, as we retrofit them, cellular sensors in there, you know, giving me kind of a status of that. And I think those are kind of important things for us as a kind of a national infrastructure going forward. And that I would see is definitely internet of things, you know, cellular enabled. So. No, but, I, that, so I mean, who, so you can build the these sensors like product. like you're describing there. You can build those sensors into the fabric of things. So, yeah, into the concrete that's being used for the bridge, into the foam insulation that's being, you know, sprayed into the home, into the, you know, the wall panels that are being put up in a business office, et cetera, et cetera. So you I think, yeah, the proliferation of the sensors and and this includes the human body can you know make make the the necessity to have this kind of communications um, or opportunity to leverage those kinds of communications more well, more that, valuable that's actually pretty big so pretty heavy so you're talking about sensors implanted possibly having 5G that's an interesting scenario right yep. uh, you know, whether it's heart condition or whatnot, or that, you know, and certainly they have to be low powered, right? Um, where they, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're cutting into yourself to get those out. But that's pretty interesting. One more thing about the structural, I was thinking about um, termites, right? For my, you know, for homes, like you, know, you never know about termite damage, right? That's behind the walls, but having some visibility uh, into the structure would be awfully nice, right? Uh, to let me know if something's about to fall off. Yeah, or, so, or just <clears throat> sensors tracking the movement of those little suckers. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, say, hey, just, is my that, walls is that a are rat or is be moving, right? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't, I'm a, I guess some things you don't want to know and some things you do, right? Um, I think, it's, you know, 5G is certainly interesting. There's promise for it. There's obviously, as you brought up, several areas where of concern. Who's the big winners in 5G? Who's going to be the big winners over the next couple of years in your your mind? Hmm. Are we think talking from an investment point of view or from a? I just companies, companies, people. Who's who's like who's this going to benefit the most? Huh. Well, let's look at it from the consumer perspective. Um, I think I think 5G is going to have a bigger impact for the um, that that's noticeable for business. Uh, 
Um, and there's, there's several reasons for that. But the reason I think for the consumer, it's, yeah, the consumer is going to get speeds and feeds and get those incremental benefits and probably not have to worry about data caps. So imagine your family plan is, you know, it just doesn't, you're not going to get those emails from the carrier anymore saying you went over. And I think, so there's going to be some nuisance uh, problems that go away because of 5G for the consumer. But 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 is there breakthrough applications for the consumer that, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not so sure about that. Um Obviously, yeah. you know, streaming's a big one, but yeah. So, so I think the consumer, it's 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 cheaper, better, which yeah. is always but great for the consumer. Streaming. But but yeah, but, but that's that's about what I see for the consumer. Now, on the business side, though, there's some big opportunities for companies, um, you know, putting their workforces together, having private networks on on 5G. I think that's a really huge one that's that's coming, and. Um, which improves security and, and downstream that improves security for their consumers. So I, I think there's a, that's a real big opportunity that that's going to be exploited in 5G. And then I do think, you know, the automation, ro robotics, industrial um, uses of, of 5G in factories. Um, there's a lot of investment going in that direction and um, automation in general is going to be really positive for companies, you know, driving their bottom lines down. So I think that you're going to you're going to see, you know, more productivity and cheaper, better goods and services driven by this type of connectivity in business. So, so, I, so with that, yeah. So with that, I'm a consumer. Yep. I, sh should I wait for the next, uh, you know, iPhone with 5G? Or should I just go get the iPhone 11 Pro now? Because the first generation of 5G probably is not going to change my life. Because, I mean, download speeds are pretty fast these days anyways. So streaming, is there, how much how much more do I need from a streaming perspective to my phone? I mean, I can already stream Hulu and Netflix with no problem pretty much anywhere. Yeah, App Apple got lambasted last time around because they didn't do advanced LTE. Um, but I think they have, yeah, in this new, in, in the 11s, I think it does have the, I gotta double check that. But, but you know, Samsung jumped out ahead with, you know, they had support, they were using uh, Qualcomm technology and they, they, they were able to actually make those claims on the higher speeds of advanced LTE, you know, and, and Apple didn't. I mean, Apple Apple has been traditionally kind of a one generation behind. Remember the first iPhone? It wasn't a 3G iPhone, even though all the other phones in the market were 3G. So it was, um, you know, it was GPRS Edge based when it launched. So the first iPhone was not even 3G. Yeah. Um, so, so they've been. Um, it's kind of how they roll, and what will be interesting is a how will a company like Apple use 5G? So, so now you know they've got to see they will have a year of experience watching what everybody else is doing, and this is how they kind of roll anyway. It'll be interesting if they find some very 
consumer-oriented way to use the technology and leverage it uh, for a better experience. It sounded they're like the, they're the kind of company that can do that. Yeah, it sounded like they were hinting that it was going to be the VR. That's what was going to be their 5G killer app, right? Because other than that, it's not a big deal. I think so. So yeah, that's so that's that's the, my point is is like for me as a consumer right now, maybe it doesn't make much. of Yeah, I just don't know. Well, you know, it's it, it will it will be seen. Somebody's going to develop a app for us as consumers. That's good. It's going to be meaningful for us. But we certainly are. A lot of us are, you know, bubbled and frothed up with, you know, 5G's coming and it's going to be incredible speeds. I think you're right. I think it is about businesses. I think they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to create net new services, you know, SaaS-based services for us. They'll be they can invest the infrastructure that's going to be required. And it's kind of a greenfield opportunity for them versus me as a consumer. You know, I can get the new 5G phone that comes out, but I'm paying for something. And, you know, how much incrementally better am I going to get? Um, you know, typically it's the other things like the camera or whatever that's improved. So it poses a very interesting question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be curious to see how the carriers like Verizon, AT&T, et cetera, market it, not if, they, if it's just about speeds or if they're able to come up with something great. So um, I think of, when I'm thinking about the winners, I certainly think businesses are, I think the Qualcomm's, the Intel's, the Huawei's, those people are winners. And because they're kind of, you know, they're gonna make a, make a toll off of that, uh, of money. I think the losers, interestingly enough, will be initially the, initially the consumers um, and some of the businesses because there is a cost of migrating or there's a cost of you know rolling out this infrastructure so um you know 5g is promising uh but anything promising doesn't actually you know it, everything promising comes with a cost too oh yeah a lot of challenges um to make it all work seamlessly yeah and if i was um if i was still at qualcomm i i, I think trump should have thirty thousand more voters um the fact that they're still that they were kind of handed 5G by the by the administration and saved from the Broadcom acquisition, uh, I mean that would have cratered Qualcomm. I mean Broadcom would have fired half of the people, and um, and it would have cratered San Diego. So uh, I mean they dodged a couple of huge bullets, you know, in the last 12 months. You know, one of them being the the Broadcom acquisition that was yeah that was a big that was a big deal and um (laughs) there was yeah so they're they they kind of were given pole position yeah by by the government on on that so they should they should be able to exploit that well that was that was certainly an interesting time i was still there uh at qualcomm when that happened and it felt like there was an old movie with james gardner it was called Barbarians at the Gate. It was about the hostile takeover, the uh, uh, RGR Nabisco, um, you know, hostile takeover buyout. It reminded me of that. It was, it was, it was surreal um, because it went down to the 11th and a half hour where everybody thought that, you know, that acquisition, hostile takeover, was going to happen, and that was extremely late. And I think what 
the average person doesn't know is how much Qualcomm infrastructure is in, um, you know, national security items. And I think that ultimately was a good decision by the government to step in there uh, for that protection. Um, you know, I typically don't like a lot of intervention, but I think that one was in the best interest of the company. That was an, a really interesting, or the country, I should say. That was a really interesting time. Um, but, you know, on, you know, I think on another topic or another time, we should talk about really the Apple Qualcomm, um, you know, lawsuits and what was going on and really talk about what it meant to entrepreneurship or inventing things uh, because that almost changed the way patents worked. Um, yeah, and- that was another big decision. And and you have to think that the, the one of the dominoes that fell was the Broadcom acquisition because had Broadcom taken over Qualcomm, the, I think, I think all that would have been moot. Um, there, yep. There's no way they were. I, I don't think Broadcom would have gone to the mat on that. They have too much business with Apple to begin with. So mm-hmm. it would have been a whole different negotiation. And I think you're right that the the business of patents would have been over pretty much. Well, the little guy inventing would have been severely hurt. I mean, now Qualcomm's the little guy, right? But the concept of creating, you know, an invention and basically someone could, you know, dispute and, and try to invalidate it. And then if it did get invalidated or just basically use their, their mighty amount, uh, dollars to, to, to do that, that would have been, it would have changed things. It, it, just like as we talk about competition between Samsung and, and, uh, and, and Apple, I mean, they do actually do business together, by the way. Um, but you know, they drive each other. That innovation, if you don't have competition, you're not innovating. And so I'm thankful for competition. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's still stuff I think, going on. Yeah, so. I think competition will help drive 5G, right? The use cases. So. Well, I think that's a whole nother show right there. We could talk about the... Um, the the IP situation and you know we're, we're both in small companies now that are doing new technology and uh, of course you you want to protect it but but you know filing a patent um, I, I don't know I think you have patents as well as I do um, it's a big deal and it's an expensive deal and it takes you know it takes a lot of work and effort just to get it filed. Um, so, so that does kind of impact the little guy, you know, that it's become harder and harder to protect your, your intellectual property. And, and, and then it has to be protected on an international stage. Um, I know one of the things, you know, uh, some of my patents that I had when I was at Qualcomm were, um, you know, they're filed all over the world. So those patents, they end up, um, you know, one patent that you have it it may really be like nine or ten patents because it's filed in China, it's filed in the you know the EU, it's filed in Latin America, it's filed um, in a bunch of different um, locales. Yeah. So and, yeah, it needs to, right? Yeah. Um, but, well, but I think if you're if you're a little two man shop, 
uh, <laughs> that's that's a lot of uh, ro you know road work to protect your uh, your IP. Yeah, and you don't want. I mean, and if you go through it, you you don't want to be ran over by somebody that will just you know trip or violate your patents and just wear you out in court, right? Yep. That's so. That's, uh, that I mean, all these big companies get. Yeah, you know, some of them are rightful and some of them aren't. I mean, Apple is a big. I mean, Apple and Facebook and Google—they're always getting sued for things, right? Sure. Um, it was interesting. Like when I was there, at least my vantage point at Qualcomm was they were much more defensive. They didn't really sue people a lot for violating their patents, but they were much more defensive patents. Um, well, the people filing lawsuits, they're always looking for the deep pockets, who, wh yes. where the money is. That Ben, that's why um, you know I never get sued because empty <laughs> <laughs> uh, pockets, right? Yep. Well, hey Jim, this has been uh, a great one, um, and I, I like our conversation just because I learned a lot from you too. So um, I also want to thank the people, you know, early on that jumped down to the, the unwired bandwagon and have been listening to us. Um, you know, Jim, I was thinking that we need to get our Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn pages created so people can, you know, follow us there also. Agreed. We appreciate the support and um, yeah, look forward to the next show, Ben. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Set you free. Tell me 
Money can set you free.